and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, it's very early here in Melbourne, Australia. It is 6.50 in the morning. Can't remember the last time I recorded this early, but I had to do it in order to get my guy, James Edwards, on the line. James is here very obviously to talk about the Cade Cunningham injury, what it means for the Pistons moving forward, how they go about building their team now, everything associated with this entire situation but we're also going to talk about the Killian Hayes resurgence which is one of the most fun stories across the NBA in my opinion given the way his career started we're going to talk a little bit about the Hornets because oh boy uh Steve Clifford is not particularly happy to be coaching that Hornets team it seems like based on his minute and a half press conference last night that wasn't really a conference right James it was just my man walked up he said you don't have to ask questions he tore the entire team to shreds and then walked out (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I loved every second of it, and it, I I thought that was actually a great approach. It, it was the only way to handle what we had just witnessed for the last uh, 53 minutes. Oh, my God. It was amazing. But first, before we jump into any of that, I want to start on the Maxi Kleba news. So Maxi Kleba, the Dallas Mavericks announced, has a hamstring tear, and he's going to be out six to eight weeks. This is a weirdly important injury. I think for a number of reasons, the Pistons just played the Mavericks about two weeks ago. James got to see them. Pistons Mm -hmm. actually beat the Mavericks, which I think was a game that kind of gave Mavericks fans some real questions and concerns about the direction of the team. (laughs) Uh, Before we jump into Maxi specifically, what were your impressions of the Mavs when you saw that game? Yeah, it's a team that I've, I've been able to catch a little bit more than other teams around the league. Um, I'm personally not a fan of that style of play that they have. I get it, given who that in in Luka Doncic being a monster, but it just is so. I, at this point, calling it calling it hard, and if it's not, if that guy's not locked in, and the others aren't locked in like that, I think you saw that against Detroit, and it's a team that really has a small margin for error, given that they have yeah. one at this point creator who has been – I mean, he's been great, but, like, I, Dinwiddie's been a bit underperforming. Like, they just need more shot creators. And even their, their um, role play – like, Reggie Bullock struggled this year. Uh, yeah. Claybert's shooting ball has been, has been fine, but it's not even – I would say he's even taken a step back the last two years. Christian Wood has been in and out of the lineup, uh, um, and he's good offensively, but defensively he has his warts. But it's certainly a team that has a lot of holes to fill. And I would imagine that in trying to do that, that Kleba would have been somebody they could have dangled or dangled out there because he does have value um, as a, I think, a high end role player. Um, I, I I don't love the style that they play, but I think it is probably the best style given that they have Luca. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that's really really hard. I think because a lot of Maxi's value isn't something you see in the box score, right? No. Like he is, I think, I think he's been Dallas's best defender this year in the moments yep. I've seen the Mavericks. And I've probably watched, you know, probably, I don't know, third, half of their games, somewhere between mm-hmm. a third and half of their games. Cause I really love watching Luca as much as I hate watching this team. <laughs> and Maxi's defensive ability as a weak side rim protector, as a rotational scramble defender, as a guy who can guard, you know, guards out on the perimeter and act in switches has been really, really important for Dallas, I think. Mm-hmm. And you can actually see it 
in terms of like the on-off numbers when he plays with Christian Wood and Luka Doncic. For the most part, when I've watched Dallas games, it feels like Jason Kidd kind of tries to tie Maxi to Christian Wood. Maybe not tie, but it feels like they try to play a lot of minutes with Maxi and Christian Wood out there together in order to minimize Christian Wood's defensive deficiencies by having Maxi out there because Maxi is so good defensively. Yeah. So I looked up the on-off numbers for the lineup data with the Mavericks, right? So when Maxi Kleba is out there with Christian Wood and Luka Doncic, the Mavericks are plus 11 almost. They're plus 10.6. They've played 207 minutes together, those three. They have a 121.6 offensive rating and a 110.9 defensive rating. When you take Maxi off the court and it's just Christian Wood and Luka Doncic without Maxi, the Mavericks are only plus 4.4. And their defensive rating shoots up to almost 117. It's 116.6. Luca with neither is just plus 4.1. And, you know, they score a little bit worse. They defend a little bit worse. But Maxi was actually kind of an, I don't know if integral is fair, but like for them to get the most out of this roster and out of the Christian Wood situation, I think that he was incredibly important to what yeah. they were doing. And like, I'll be honest, like I think there was a case that he'd been every bit as valuable as Christian Wood has been this year for the Mavericks, especially when you consider the fact that the Mavericks last night moved to zero and eight when Christian Wood plays 28 minutes or more in a game. And again, I think that as Sheesh. I said on the last episode, I think that that's a little bit funky in terms of like, you know, the, the numbers just saying something weird because yeah. the Mavs are actually a plus in four of those games that Christian Wood uh, has played, where he's played at least 28 minutes. In his minutes on the court, uh, the Mavs outscored their opponent. And then on top of it, they're 7-0 and when he plays between 25 and 27 minutes. But it's weird that that's happening, right? That they're 0-8 when Christian Wood that's plays wild. 28 or more minutes. Yeah, I, I'd like to see against which teams those those – losses came in um because yeah like again we've talked we both talked about it christian has deficient deficiencies defensively but he is offensively been kind of what you're explaining for clayba defensively he's been that offensively um he's been taking a little bit of a load off of luca when he plays um just to be able to have a guy that could put the ball on the floor a guy that could pick a pop a lob threat like he's he's definitely has his value but i agree with you um that just this team, the way it is constructed, having Maxi out there is pivotal. Uh, the yeah. margin for error is thin, especially defensively. And I think now this is a team that has struggled with him. Uh, and I think it's going to be a situation where you see even more of a struggle without him because I just don't know where they make up kind of that defensive connection that he provides. So either guys are going to have to step up defensively or they're going to have to make something happen maybe sooner than they anticipated to stay afloat. Uh, but certainly I, I agree with you. Like th- the box score doesn't tell the maxi Claver Cl- story uh, very well. Well, and here's the, you know, interesting thing and we can transition to the Pistons this way. Uh, you mentioned to me that they could be an interesting landing spot for Nerlens Noel mm-hmm. uh, before we went on the air and I don't think he's ideal necessarily because he can't shoot like Maxi can, but he's at least athletic defensively and can scramble a little bit in a way that this team needs, right? Yeah, for sure. And you can 
you can have Christian at the four and you can play uh, Nerlens at the five if you need kind of a little bit more balance, maybe late in game, just to find that yin and yang a little bit better. But certainly Nerlens is a guy that's not playing much in Detroit. They're rebuilding. They have three front court guys that are young. And I mean, in, in, in most of their cases, and Isaiah and Duran are playing really well and Bagley's had good moments. So there's just no minutes yeah. for Nerlens. Um, and I'm not sure if he gets traded. Maybe this, if Dallas's interest is as intense as it could be, maybe they do bite the bullet and give up something for him. Uh, but I was, while teams have been interested in Nerlens, it kind of felt like to me that it would be maybe be more in a buyout situation, just because I'm not sure what teams would give up for him yeah. and what Detroit would be willing to take back just to get just to give him up. So. Yeah, like I, that's kind of the impression I've been working under, but I agree with you. They're not the same player by any means, but Nerland still has some defensive stuff, and he's healthy, and um, it's better than nothing, right? I mean, are you going to find, without making a big splash, this is a low-cost move that you could maybe try to maneuver to at least have put a Band-Aid on things until the, the six to eight weeks are up. Yeah, I think that's right, but let, let's transition into – now the Pistons, because look, the Pistons won last night. They beat the Hornets. They are what eight and twenty-two, if I yes. remember correctly. Yep, they're eight and twenty-two. This team, to me, is actually one of the bigger disappointments in the NBA this season. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know that anyone thought that they would like be a full-scale top six seed playoff team necessarily, but I thought they'd be in contention for the play-in. For the mm-hmm. most part, like I, I really thought that they had a real chance to take a nice leap with Cade leading the way, Jaden Ivey's athleticism acting as a secondary ball handler, you know, steps up maybe from Sadiq Bay and Isaiah Stewart, obviously the boy on ac- acquisition early in the season, I think has worked out about as well as anyone could have hoped, yeah. right? Uh, despite the fact that the team has not been as good as what you could have, you know, expected. So, l- I guess, like, let's start there. What what yeah. were your expectations? That's a weird way to say that word. What were your <laughs> expectations uh, for the Detroit Pistons coming into the year? And have they in some way, you know, disappoint? not disappointed you because, like, you're not, like, a Pistons fan. Like, right. You just covered the team. But, like, have they been disappointing in some way? So I came into the season thinking play-in was the best-case scenario. I was a little less on them. Um in comparison to you, mainly because, as you know, young guards, they're very young and vulnerable in the most key positions in the NBA, which is yeah. the backcourt and the front court. And Ivy, he actually started this the year very well, um, but he's kind of now the water is leveled and he's looking like a rookie. Yeah. Um, defensively, I didn't think they would be very good because if you just kind of look at the makeup of the roster – a lot of it is is keying in on guys developing and learning kind of the not, I don't want to say basics, but switching and and understanding when you're dropping and when you're and when you are switching and, and not helping off the strong side, like just stuff that young dumb stuff that young guys make mistakes with. And that happens a lot in Detroit. And yeah. I figured that they'd be able to score and they've scored the ball about as well as I thought. They're not like a juggernaut offensively, but they can have some good games. But defensively, it's like. They have one good on-ball perimeter defender in Killian Hayes. Uh, well, Isaiah Stewart, too. You add him to the perimeter. He's probably best in space as a defender. Duran's still figuring things out. He has flashes, but he's not anywhere near where they hope he'll be. 
Um, yeah. Cade has Cade has potential defensively, uh, but he hasn't played enough to to factor into that. Isaiah Livers is somebody who has the potential to be a good defender and has had good moments, but he's kind of been in and out of the lineup with various injuries too. So there's just not a lot there defensively right now. Um, they're young. They make just boneheaded mistakes. I, I definitely thought they would maybe early on, they didn't compete in terms of like taking teams down to the wire. Like I thought that was a little concerning, but they had a tough, they've had a tough schedule that they just got out of. I still think to this point, they've played more, te- more games than anybody. Um, if not, they're right there tied. They've played more road games than home games. And because they're playing in Paris, a lot of that factors in their schedule at the top half of the year has been crunched because they have eight days off. They have one game in that eight days when they go to Paris in January. So it's, it's been a weird schedule, a tough schedule. If you look at their first 10 games, Ahead of time, like you looked at Orlando, and that was like the one fifty fifty game. Like they played yeah. Milwaukee, they played like some really good teams for the first fifteen games. So, yeah, of course, like I, I thought they would maybe be a little bit more competitive early on. They've been that late, and for a team like this who is so young, and people Pistons fans are on my head early on when they were when they were really struggling. Like Alec Burks isn't playing. Uh, Marvin Bagley isn't playing. And I understand that you guys see these these guys as role players, but like this is a young team that can't really afford to not have NBA guys who can put the ball in the bucket. Yeah. And since Alec Burks has returned, they're five and seven over their last 12 games. They went into Denver and beat Denver, beat Utah the next day. Like this isn't, a, we were talking about margin for error earlier. Like the Pistons have no margin for error and they need every piece at their dispense to, to shock some teams. Well, and just like having adults. Like adults having adults helps. Yeah. <laughs> like it's huge. It's really, really huge. And you mentioned the idea of the schedule, and I just want to, you know, piggyback off of that. You mentioned road games, you mentioned the condensed schedule. Even taking away from that, they've played the hardest, like strength of opponent. So yeah, far, for sure. Yep. According to basketball reference. So and most of that without their best player. And most of that without their best player. So at the end of the day, like this has been an exceptionally difficult schedule. And I would imagine that we'll see a team improve throughout the course of the year because they're young. They will get better. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't know if that's going to help. And I, I think that this is where we need to start talking about what the Cade <laughs> injury means. So yeah. l- let's just start here. Cade Cunningham's out for the year. Mm-hmm. What were your impressions of Cade Cunningham's season before he ended up getting hurt and missing time? Yeah, it was a credit to one thing that's always struck struck me about Cade that I've enjoyed covering and getting to know about him is his willingness to look in the mirror. Yeah. And if you look at those first two weeks of the season, three weeks of the season, he really struggled. And a big reason why, because he would try to get to the hole and really try to challenge, Dwayne likes to call him, challenge trees at the rim. And yeah. I don't know the stats, but if you would, if you can find who got their shots blocked the most through the first two weeks, I guarantee there are several Pistons at the top of that list, and Cade would be there. And that really, he was really, he really struggled to ease into the season. And then something clicked where he stopped going to the hole as much and became just a deadly mid-range scorer. Like I did a story right before he got hurt, where he was above Demar Derozan in both mid-range attempts and percentage and there you could see you'll see the change in the box score of where he just looked like he went nuclear for like four or five games and then shortly after that he went out so 
to me, Cade was really starting to figure things out. He had found a home in the mid range. Um, and yeah, like quickly after that, he, he went out, but he definitely struggled early on because I, he was, he was trying to get to the rim and trying to finish over, over big guys. And it didn't work out for him. Yeah. You know, Cade played 11 full games this year. You know, he played half of that Boston game in terms of his typical minute load. And if you look over the last six of those games, he averaged 22 and a half points, eight rebounds, seven assists, only three turnovers, shot 45.8% from the field and only shot 30% from three. That's still like the weird thing that I yeah, think is a little around. weird. Same. I think Cade's going to shoot long-term. That's why Same. I'm just like not all that worried about it. Mm-hmm. But I do think that your point about not being able to put pressure on the rim at a super high level is definitely accurate. And I think is also a bit of a reflection of, the way the teams defend Detroit, right? Mm -hmm. Because, like, they don't really care if Isaiah Stewart shoots threes. Like, I think Isaiah can actually shoot a little bit, but teams don't really guard him out there. Slowly but surely. Yeah, slowly but surely they're starting to now. Yeah, I agree. But early on they were letting him have it. Yeah, so that leads to guys being in the paint. I think early in the season also – the book on Jade Nivey was we want to make sure that he's staying on the perimeter of the court. We don't want him putting pressure on the rim. So we're going to sag off of him a little bit. Uh, Sadiq Bey has just shot really poorly this year, right? Yeah, yeah. So teams generally are trying to condense the paint against the Pistons. That is what they have done all season. And that leads to struggles for Cade. Mm-hmm. I'm, I don't know. Like, I feel like people just look at the overall like box score numbers and don't really watch what's happening a lot of the time you don't say i'm a little i'm a little bit worried about like Cade's ability to separate like if i'm being completely honest yeah, right that's like fair. i would like to see when Cade gets back from this shin injury him really be able to kind of get guys off the bounce get to his spots a little bit easier maybe have just like a little bit more shake maybe mm-hmm. as opposed to like the explosiveness, which we know he doesn't have like an incredible first step. That's always been the right. thing with Cade. He's always been a change of pace guy who plays at his own, you know, tempo. Yep. But I would like to see him just be a little bit better at separating, but uh, overall, like that's really all I'm worried about. That's and fair. like, you could say that's a big thing and, and it is like, you'd be fair to say that is a big thing, but I don't know. Like I'm, I haven't seen much where I'm like out on Cade Cunningham. Like I I would still, I like, even like, I would still take him. I think at number one in 2021, like it's, it's close. Don't get me wrong. Like Evan Mobley has been great. Franz Wagner has been great. Scotty's going through struggles right now that we talked about last week on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, There have been a lot of guys like Jalen Green starting to come around in terms of being the elite level scorer that we saw. But I still kind of think Kate is the one that mixes it all together in the best, most coherent way. I'm with you. Uh, and I just would like to see him get a full season without getting hurt because he got hurt last year, too. Yeah. And I, and I think part of that is, like you said, he's not the most explosive player. And I know, and trust me, they do this in Detroit. And I know I'm sure the other fan bases do this, too. But like, Every, it's what are you doing for me now? And we have to remember that while Cade um, is was the the number one, everybody thought he should have been the number one pick for the most part in that draft. He was kind of the most yep. hyped up guy. Like 
the end of the day, he was still 19 years old. And it sometimes it just takes a little thing, a little bit to figure things out. And I thought Kay did a great job of figuring out how to counter his struggles at the rim by using his size and his shooting touch in the in, inside to convert less um, attempts at the rim to efficient mid-range shooting. So he figured that out. And I think now that the Pistons kind of have a, a style that they want to play, Duran's in the starting lineup, Isaiah Stewart's in the starting lineup. They're rolling this way for the foreseeable future. Isaiah's spacing the floor at a tremendous clip for a guy who has never shot high-volume threes, and Jalen Duran is the lob threat. I think that when Cade comes back, and now you factor in, and again, I'm, I hope I'm not contradicting myself, but the way things look right now, like I almost like see a world where Killian Hayes next to Cade might be, uh, could work fairly well in comparison to where it depends on where Jaden gets his shot to be. Um, and obviously Jaden puts pressure on the rim and that helps, but certainly like Killian has, uh, propelled himself into a situation where you got to at least think about it. And I think Cade, when he comes back, that the roster will be in a much more settled spot and there will be able to, he'll be able to kind of, find a feel, find a rhythm and just understand how he's going to be able to fit into this because everybody else while he's gone is going to, they're going to have an understanding of what this looks like. Now, when he comes in, he's just got to adjust to that. And it's going to take time when he comes back next year. That's why this blow stinks for Detroit. It's not the individual development. Killian's playing out of his mind. Isaiah's playing out of his mind. Duran's been good. It's what hurts Detroit is this was supposed to be about the team and making it all work and that's got pushed back that's what hurts the most about kd and out yeah i'm glad you brought up the jalen duran isaiah stewart combination so that duo has played 114 minutes together so far uh i don't remember them playing at all together like in the first 15 games do you no um they that and that's another thing that kind of goes back to their struggles to start the year bagley was missed the first month of the season. He got hurt the last preseason game. So th- right. they had to use Duran off the bench. And Isaiah was playing primarily as the five. And they had right. Sadiq at the four. So then Bagley comes back and they start forming the front, the bigger front court that they wanted to use. Right. And the Duran-Stewart combination this year, they've actually been really, really good together. Yeah. They played 114 minutes together. They have a plus 7.2 net rating in those minutes. Uh, the offensive rating is 115.4. The defensive rating is the big thing for a team that has just not been able to defend at all point blank. They have a 108.1 defensive rating with those two on the court. Uh, and that's small sample, obviously. It's 117 minutes. I think the teams might eventually get to the point where they can figure it out. Mm-hmm. But end of the day, I think that it's an interesting combination because if you really believe in having two dynamic ball handlers on the court together, be it Cade and Killian Hayes, Cade and Jaden Ivey, you probably need a bit less from the four position in terms of handling the ball. Agree. Good point. And you can play Boyan, who can also handle on like at the second side and everything. Uh, Boyan, you probably lose a little bit of his like post efficiency by doing this, right? Like yeah. he is someone that like randomly can like take guys down <laughs> onto the block and mismatches and just like shoot over the top. But I'm okay with that. Like I, I would yeah. trade that for having defensive versatility and efficiency in there. Yep. So I, I, I don't know. Like it's, it's an interesting deal because I think that those two, Isaiah Stewart and Jalen Duran, theoretically are a good combination for Cade and for the Pistons moving forward, spraying the ball out to the corners for Isaiah Stewart, having a real legit 
rim roller in Jalen Duran, but also those two just take up a lot of space. Yeah. Which, like, Both is, have long arms. Yeah. Like I know Isaiah's undersized, but his arms are ridiculous. I think he probably measured yeah. in terms of wingspan at that combine up there with some of the best of them. Jalen Duran, Duran is like seven five and a half, seven six. Wingspan. Ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's wild. Um, yeah, he's he's an interesting one uh, moving forward for the Pistons, and I want to talk about Duran. In a maybe we'll do the Duran talk now. Let, let's do that yeah. before we get into Hayes and get into everything. I've I really liked what I've seen from Jalen Duran. He misses rotations here and there defensively, but no more than what you would expect from a rookie. Mm-hmm. He's just physically ready to play. Like we yep. knew that coming in. He's 19 years old, but he's a physical like dude that is not going to have a problem holding his position, not going to have a problem managing contact. He rebounds well. He finishes reasonably well around the rim. I want to see how everything else looks. He's shown a couple of flashes as a passer that yeah. like you've, you can put in the back pocket maybe yep. long term yep. and say, maybe this could be a thing eventually down the road. He's not there yet, but I think everything that the Pistons hope to get from Jalen Duran they're getting so far, which is really, really important uh, for the Pistons moving forward. Yeah. And I think it was expedited too. Like, I don't know if people remember Duran did not rebound the ball well at all in summer league. Like I think I don't think he had a game with more than like three or four rebounds. Like it was there was concern there um, that he would have to adjust to not just being the biggest and strongest and highest leaper on the floor. And that I thought he would spend time in the in the G League, and he hasn't done that. And I think Duran Duran has exceeded my expectations for sure this first year. I still think there are a couple things on both sides of the ball, and it's just totally they'll change with more experience and more time. I think for me defensively is I think he sometimes gets too locked in on his man. So when others, when ball handlers are checking the rim, he's not, you see young guys, especially young bigs, they try to block everything. And sometimes I don't think he tries to block everything when he probably could get it. And I think that's just learning that. And then that's one. And then offensively, you see how much of a freak of nature he is athletically on lobs and, and going to get rebounds, but you don't necessarily see that same explosion when he gets the ball in the post, like it's, he does not get up as high if he's trying to do a post move. Um, and I think that's, again, just the game being too fast and him trying to process this guy who's behind him or who's going to – it's a lot of processing stuff, I think, with him, which is totally normal for a kid who just turned 19. So yeah, I think those are the two most glaring things. But like you said, physically ready to go. He's shown flashes. He's gotten better every day at, like, understanding rotations and stuff. Um He's a really good screener, just the, the way he's flipped screens and things like that. Like, kudos to Jalen Duran for being ready this soon. I did not anticipate that. And they were very, very high on him uh, going into the draft. We talked about it. Um, yeah. To the point where if Ivy was gone at five, that I think they would have just moved a couple spots back and still taken Duran. Yeah, that's a good question. Because what did they take Ivy at five or six? I can't remember. Five. I think that. Yeah, I don't know. They might have taken – I don't know. I don't know. I know there are some people that really love Ben. Yes. (laughs) I know there were people in the Pistons organization that really loved Ben Matherin. Yes. Um, Whether or not – you know, it doesn't matter because Ivy is great. And, um, I mean, like, would they rather have Ben Matherin than Jaden Ivy right now? Maybe. I don't know. Ben's look great. But Jaden Ivy – It's not about right now. Yeah, has a ton of upside moving forward as a creative guard. Let's take a quick commercial break, um, and then we're going to jump into the Killian Hayes renaissance. Before we jump into the Pistons as a whole moving forward here and what uh, their long-term 
situation looks like. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot-blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash gametheory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash gametheory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash gametheory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash gametheory okay we're diving in now it's time james it's time to have the killian hayes discussion let's do it killian hayes i don't know i don't think he was like written off written off right like mm. we're getting to that point though yeah we're getting to the point where in detroit uh, he was by the fans yeah yeah we're getting to the point where it might have might have taken a change of scenery. Like it might have been he might not have. I think someone would have signed him. I think like if the Pistons wouldn't have signed him this off this coming off season, they, I th- someone would. I think somebody him. probably would have, but I think because we're both not sure says uh, says it all. Yeah, it was like a Nilakina deal, right? Like yeah. I think the Ma- like the Mavs signed Nilakina. Like I think that there probably would have been a chance taken on Killian, but that that's where we were. Yes. in the Killian Hayes experience. And man, has he looked, he's looked fun, I will say. And there are parts of his game that I think look really translatable. You mentioned the defense earlier in the show. I think that's like 
the thing that early in his career, for instance, like he hung his hat on mm-hmm. saying in the NBA by being a good point of attack defender, by being able to fight over screens, by being able to just be pesty and using his six foot four, six foot five ish strong physical frame to be able to guard opposing ones and twos at yep. a high level. Now the offense is starting to come along. What have what have you seen from Killian Hayes offensively that has you excited? I mean, it's for me, it starts and stops at the improved shooting. Um, I would mm-hmm. say as a passer, Killian, even the first two years with the struggles, was uh, the way he saw the game, there would be some just phenomenal passes. Like he, he came into the league able to – dot defense is kind of like a west coast like a west coast quarterback like he was very good at the cross court passes he was very, he was just a very good passer now the confidence he has with his shot um i mean that was it like we we, we can talk about a guy having value because he's good defensively and he's good passing the ball but like in 2022 you cannot have the ball in your hands that much and not be able to somewhere on the floor score effectively and efficiently. You just mm-hmm. can't. Like this isn't Eric Snow, early two thousands. Like it it's Eric not what it is. No, it's, and that's why Michigan State guy. That's but it's not what it is anymore. Firing shots at your guy Eric Snow. <laughs> Shout out to Eric Snow if you're listening. Um, but Killian had to find a way to score the basketball. Like he just had to. And the fact now that. He's shooting the three ball, I think, 38% over his last 12 games. The mid-range, there's been some really – there was a – I don't know if the stretch is as good still, but he was shooting like high 40s, low 50s for a period in the mid-range. He still has to improve as a finisher around the rim. And I've always found it interesting that, like, for somebody who likes to use his body physically, defensively, he did not always lean into contact and still doesn't offensively. And that's yeah. something he's got to iron out. Doesn't get to the line a lot. But this is – Killian Hayes, the, his ability to shoot the ball, the confidence he's walking around with is just like night and day. He reworked this shot over the summer, and you could tell early on this year he struggled. That's why he's still shooting under 40% from the field because the, the rough start. But yeah. like you can see the, the comfortability with his new form now. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it feels natural now, and that's been huge, you can tell. And like I said, the confidence has come with it. Um, he's hit clutch. He's the one that sent the Mavericks home. He outplayed Luka Doncic in overtime the other day or uh, a few weeks ago, scoring 14 in the second or in fourth quarter in overtime. He went bonkers against Charlotte uh, last night, um, hitting step back threes. He's just very, very. I mean, I keep saying confident. That's really the only, no, the only I, way to say it. No, I, I really actually think it's confidence. Like a big part of it is confidence and you mentioned the contact thing, comfort level, embracing contact, not just at the rim, but I think the like place where he's gotten a lot more comfortable dealing with contact is on his handle. Yeah. Like if guys bump him now, like he used to just, his momentum used to completely stop. He would pick up his dribble a lot that first year, a lot, a hundred percent. He would pick up his dribble. He would stop trying to attack. Now he looks a lot slicker as a ball handler than what he's looked in the NBA. He had that, when he played in Germany uh, the pre-draft year with Ulm, but he looks a lot more comfortable handling the ball in an attacking manner now. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is kind of opening things up for him. It's allowing him to collapse defenses in a way that he hasn't been able to. And we're starting to see more of the passing, some of the special cross corner skips that, you know, we saw pre-draft that we've seen sporadically maybe yeah. is the way to put but it. But he had to be able to shoot for it to really open up. 
Totally. The shooting is the next part as well. He looks way more comfortable as a shooter. And like you said, all of this to me comes back to when you would watch Killian Hayes when he was 19 and 20 years old in the NBA, he just looked kind of like a deer in headlights a lot Mm -hmm. of the time. Mm -hmm. Like he just looked like a guy that didn't re I don't want to say he didn't have a plan, but like maybe it was the defense is trying to stop you. They're trying to play defense on you it's the Mike Tyson, like everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. kind of thing. Yep. And I think that he had a plan until that happened physically. Yep. And then he had to adjust and it took him a couple of years to adjust. I think that's a great point. And I think another thing that's almost along the same lines. Um, and he said something very, very interesting at the end of last season during exit interviews. He's like, what I want to do this summer is play pickup against NBA players. And, mm. and you just don't hear guys say that because most of these guys are American. This is what they grew up in the AAU system. They grew up in these summer runs. Killian's from America, but he grew up in France. He's French. He, he's, French. he's French. Straight up. Yeah. People, and I, I don't know if they forget or they just don't think about this. And I don't want to use it as an excuse, but I do think it did play into the adjustment period. He never played against any of these guys growing up. Like, with all due respect to French basketball players, uh, players playing in the Bundesliga, this isn't that. And a lot of those guys, like Zoran, or Goran's brother, like he played the NBA. He knew what it took. Killian never played in the AAU circuit. He never played college. He never played high-level high school. And not saying that the Bundesliga is not better than high level high school. That's not what I'm saying, but there's an adjustment period to playing against grown men and learning what it takes to kind of not the nest. There's, there's a freestyle approach that he just never had. Like the, the confidence that comes with having to just make shit happen. And he was always regimented. He always played in systems. And I think well, that it's played a, a big part of it. It's a different style of basketball. It's a different style of basketball. Yes. And like, so here's the thing with Killian too. Like, Killian also never really played like Euro league basketball Mm -hmm. or high level European basketball until that pre-draft year. Like he was playing Espoir. He played a year in the French league where he was like coming off the bench for Cholet. Like it was that the French league is a little bit different. And I think that is your, the European leagues in general, have a reputation for being a very physical style of basketball, mm-hmm. right? Especially when you get to like Euro league level, the ACB leagues like that, like those leagues are physical shit. Like yep. the Euro league, I think is more physical than the NBA now, I like agree. almost like unquestionably when you watch it, but it's the French league is not necessarily that. And I think people are seeing that, you know, the more that you watch games with Victor Wembanyama, that it's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, not in a bad way. Like those are incredibly skilled guys over there. It's just different style of basketball. Yes. With Killian, he really only had one year of like high level experience. And it was against guys in the German league that there, there are athletes in the German league. I don't mean to disrespect the German league. It's a good league. It's just like, but he could get by it, on other things. Cause he was more talented. Yeah. He could. Yep. And as you adjust to the NBA, after not having played like Euro League, he played Euro Cup. Like Euro Cup's a very yep. strong competition. But like if you look at his 
overall numbers, like he shot 45% from the field in Euro Cup competition, 50% from the field in German League competition, but he actually shot 39% from three in Euro League competition and 21% from three in the German League, which means he had a much easier time scoring in the paint in the German League than he did in Euro Cup. Yep. which is going to be a lot more physical, which is going to be higher level competition. Yep. So I think that that physicality adjustment took a lot of time. I agree. For Killian. I, it's I th- just where I, I stop with this. I think that stems a lot of it. And like when he said that, like, I just want to play against NBA players all summer. I just like, that's it. Like that's going to help you. That's, that's going to make a difference for sure. Like as, as elementary as it sounds to the, regular person to the naked ear like that's a big step in like recognizing what you have to do to succeed at this level yep i think that's absolutely right okay last thing on the pistons here Cade's injury i think knocks them out of the chance for a plan birth right they're also eight and 22 um (laughs) you know (laughs) that that alone also might knock out the fact that the Eastern Conference is a bit stronger than what we've seen. Although you look across the league, what like a little underwhelming. All five, yeah, like all five of the teams in the Atlantic have at least thirteen wins. Um, you know, I guess that the Bucks, Cavs, and Pacers all have at least fifteen, and then the Heat and the Hawks. So what? Yeah, we're at ten. They're like seven games back of the playoffs, right? Yeah. Something like that. Bulls so they're. they're yeah, the Bulls stink. They're out of the playoff picture, I think, at this point. I agree. Finding that balance between pseudo-tanking while also trying to position your players in the best position is really interesting for them. Mm-hmm. Because I think that the timeline for the Pistons is shortening quicker than what people think. Yes. Uh Sadiq Bay and Isaiah Stewart are both extension eligible this year. Uh-huh. And I, I think that Isaiah is probably going to be a little bit cheaper. I think like he's the one that I would probably try to prioritize a little bit more than Sadiq based off of what I've seen. But like Sadiq plays a position that's a little bit more valuable than Isaiah. But Isaiah just a, seems to be a little bit more dangerous when I watch uh-huh. him than yeah. Sadiq at this point. So and plus the defense is better with Isaiah as well. Isaiah's physical, he's strong, he's a great rebounder, he can defend in space, everything like that. So there's that part of it. The it's cap situation line. is going to go quick for them. Like mm-hmm. if they have to extend but like they don't know if Cade is 100% the number one option, right? Like, there's a chance at this point that Cade is, like, a really great number two option, mm-hmm. right? Um, or he might be a number one. I think we're still trying to figure that out. There's a case that, you know, Isaiah Stewart might be a sixth man as opposed to a starter. There's a case that the, you know, Sadiq Bay might be a rotation player as opposed to a starter. I think that the problem for them is they don't really have any answers on this, yes. right? Like, and now we're going into year four of Killian Hayes, Isaiah Stewart, Sadiq Bay, And like I said, like none of this even is before we get into Killian. And we have no idea what Killian is at this point. We're excited yeah. about what we've seen and the flashes that he showcased over the last couple of weeks. But like we have no idea if he's a long-term piece for the Pistons at this point right. either. Right. So like 
they're going to have to make actual financial long-term decisions. They're going to have ramifications moving forward for the organization before knowing if this roster is good. And that's a real concern. I think where do you kind of stand on all of this is the Pistons try and build for an actual winner moving forward. No, I think you brought up the, the elephant in the room. I think that's what this year was supposed to be about. Not only just like building the chemistry, but like finding out, who is riding? Who are we riding with going forward? That's and I still think for some of those guys that are that are healthy, like it's still the case. Um, but that makes them interesting at the deadline to me because yeah. talking to people in their in the organization, I don't think they they didn't think this was a playoff team, but I I do think they thought they would be better have a better start than they did. Um, and I've always worked under the assumption that next year is the year that they really wanted to turn a corner. It's when Troy took over, this always twenty the year twenty twenty three always was kind of like the year. Yep. And you're like you mentioned, they're going to have a ton of cap space this summer. And I work under the assumption that next year they want to be legitimately a contender for the playoffs. Whether that's mm-hmm. play in playoffs, I still think that's the goal that hasn't changed. And with that. That makes me wonder, do you trade a Boyan? Do you trade an Alec Burks? Because the Pistons don't want to be bad forever. They don't. Um, and if we're being honest, if Boyan had not signed an extension and was going into next summer as an unrestricted free agent, he'd be one of the more coveted free agents in the, on the market. And the Pistons have that locked up. Alec Burks, like some people might say, you can find a, a heat him up bench scorer anywhere. I'm like, for $10 million, like I kind of want to keep Alec Burks around if I want to be good next year. Just the numbers he's put up this year and the comfortability he's at. So that makes me question, like, do the Pistons, are they even any bit sellers at the deadline? Because if you want to be good at some point, you can't keep trading good players. And while you like a lot of the young players you have, like you mentioned, Sam, we don't know exactly what they are yet. So... It's going to be an interesting situation over the next two months. Um, I I think there is they're going to do something. I, at a point, they do have to consolidate uh, some of the young pieces. I don't know if it'll be in bulk or maybe an individual, but certainly this is a team that has to start piecing together what they want to look like. Um, they have to start going for more proven players and with that obviously the elf in the room also is Wimbenyama I still work under the assumption that the Pistons and I know it's probably hard for people to see now but now that they've gotten out of this tough part of the schedule and they've been playing close to 500 basketball over the last 12 games I still think like there's like four teams that are probably when it's all said and done are going to be worse and at that point like I, I think the gap between the bottom six teams is so small um, and will prove to be small or maybe five teams that do you, of course, like you want to give yourself the best odds at, at the number one pick, but that is 14%. I I would imagine maybe you see Boyan with lower back tightness. If he's not traded at the deadline, same with like Alec Burks and stuff like that, but like, they're not going to be able to sit Isaiah Stewart. They're not going to be able to sit Killian Hayes. They're not going to be able to, to sit uh, Jalen Duran, Jaden Ivey, um, and maybe 
by January, these guys are starting to figure things out. So it's an interesting situation. Um, I'm not really sure what it turns out to be, but they're going to have to figure out something like you mentioned. I don't even know if I made any sense there, but. Well, no. Well, here's what I'll say. Like, I I think they are pretty substantially better than the Hornets, for instance. Right. Like the Hornets have played a below average schedule so far in terms of strength of schedule, according to basketball reference. And they're still worse than the Pistons. And they have like three guys who have been in the league five plus years in their starting lineup. Yeah. The, the, the Hornets, they need to tear that. We'll talk about the Hornets in a minute here. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Um, The piss. Look, the Boyan thing is interesting. They re-signed him for that extra year, but they did it in a way that, you know, allows flexibility in terms of moving him. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that even makes him more valuable on the trade market. Agreed. To be honest. There are a lot of teams that could really use him. I actually don't know if Dallas is one. I've seen his name connected there. Uh, I would want someone that's a little bit more defensively solid, especially with the knowledge that we have no idea what Maxi Kleba is going to be moving forward here Mm -hmm. for them. Uh, it's a little bit hard to find the boy on landing spot. If you look around the league, like there are a lot of teams that could use him, but like trying to find the team that like will give up real asset capital is hard. Like I think the Cavs could really use boy on. Ooh, I like that. The Cavs just moved most of their semi soon draft capital in the Donovan Mitchell trade. So Mm -hmm. like, they're not a great option. I don't think the Miami heat could really use boy on like yes. they need someone that can shoot. They need someone who can just kind of move the ball along is willing to play without the ball in his hands. Uh, I, I just don't know what they have to offer necessarily. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's, it's one of those deals where you can maybe make a case like Memphis would be interesting for boy on if they really decide to go for this. Uh, that's actually probably the one that like stands out most to me. Could like you do that. something where I mean, but the problem with that is like you almost to move to match salary, it would have to be like John Conchar and something else or John Conchar and like Brandon Clark or something. Mm-hmm. And a, that feels aggressive to me. If I was Memphis, I don't know if I would want to do that. And B, if you're Detroit, Brandon Clark is a free agent this summer and or no, 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 no. He resigned, he signed an extension, but like yeah, he's about yeah. to get expensive. Um, Brandon Clark is, what is he? It's I think like 12 and a half for the next yeah, four sounds years. Right. So that's not ideal either. And he kind of overlap, like you don't, they don't really need his skill set. It's, it's weird in that. I think he's probably better than Marvin Bagley, but there's a lot of overlap with him and Marvin Bagley in terms mm-hmm. of what they do, and they just signed Bagley to that big deal. Does having Marvin Bagley on the team make you stop trying to get Brandon Clark? I don't know necessarily, but yeah. like I don't it, it feels like an over you know an overlap of assets, maybe mm-hmm. is the way to put it. Um the Portland Trailblazers could use Boyan Bogdanovich, and we know that the Blazers and Pistons have yeah trade history at this point following the Jeremy Grant deal. That's the one where I kind of look at it and I'm like, 
okay, maybe you could swing something there. Maybe they're willing to give up like a pick or something like that. And, you know, the salary matching, I don't believe is like wildly hard if they really wanted to. Um, maybe, maybe that's it. Like maybe it's boy on. Yeah. But, but then I get it from the Portland standpoint, but then if I'm Detroit, I'm looking around and I'm like, how do am I going to use my cap space to replace Boyan when I already had Boyan? Like yeah. I just, I, it's they're in a, it's a weird spot. I just, yeah. I, if I were if I were Detroit, I would put my I would sit on my hands for most of this stuff. Like now, maybe if you want to consolidate, there's a young player. That everybody's talked about Sadiq Bay, who's been moved to the bench, struggled shooting. Uh, you're with him and Isaiah and Killian all being three first round picks in the same year. You're going to have to make a decision on one of them anyway. Hmm. Maybe that's that's. I I just think Bojan. You it's just going to be too tough for Detroit to get somebody as productive as him, uh, whether via trade or the free agency next year. To and if you want to turn a corner, I just you can't keep trading good players for future. For future, for hoping that something works out down the line, that a player turns in to be Bojan. <laughs> yeah, like it's interesting. So, like you know, obviously, I believe Jeremy Grant's a free agent. Mm-hmm. Like, could you do a thing where, like, you pay Jer? Do you want to pay Jeremy Grant thirty-five million dollars a year to come yeah. back to Detroit? That that's kind of the number. Like yeah. that that it'll take a substantial amount. He's playing like a borderline all-star level. Mm-hmm. Like that that's. I think people are going to be surprised with how big the Jeremy Grant contract is. Yeah, no, I agree. Year. I agree. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's hard. Maybe, maybe that is it. Maybe like you try and do multiple first round picks for Bay and Bogdanovich because you yeah. worry about the way that Sadiq looks. You think that Bogdanovich is um, someone's a little bit older, like a team that could really use both of those guys is Phoenix. Right. Like Phoenix yes. can desperately use two guys like that. Yeah. But again, it comes back to, I, I, well, here's the thing. Like, let, let's just get real stupid. Right. Like, <laughs> could they, could they really want DeAndre Ayton? I don't think so because they have Jalen Duran. Yeah. But like, Troy Weaver has shown a proclivity for bigs in the past. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's going to settle now that he got Duran and Isaiah. I think together. so too. What about, you yeah. think they, you think the Phoenix would part with Cam Johnson? Maybe, but I wouldn't. I don't know that I would want to pay Cam. Like I think Cam's really good, but like if I'm if I'm Detroit, I don't know if I want to be the team that pays him, given where I am right now in my bill. Fair. I I think Isaiah Livers, who could be Cam Light, if you follow a lot of people aren't familiar with Livers, but there's potential there. It's that, and it's like okay, I've Boyan for the next year at 21 million as it is. Yeah, I think there's a chance Cam Johnson gets. 22 23 million right. and he's worse than boy on right. so like I, yeah i'm not totally sure on that one that's a but like I, I guess that this is my point and this goes to the point that you're stating here as well it's hard to find the move that makes sense to move boy on like lakers fans can have the fever dream of pat beverly and kendrick nunn for boy on but like that would require them moving one of those unprotected picks to me like and you would tr- have to yeah. And Troy plans game. to be in Detroit in 2027, but he don't know. He doesn't. He can't guarantee he's going to be here in 2027. Isn't that when the pick is? Yeah, it's 2027. And you're 100 percent right. Like 
if he moves those two guys for like essentially, I think your move. I think that you would then be cutting Pat Bev because it seems like oh, he sure. doesn't yeah, want to yeah. go to a like rebuilding situation, yeah. and then I don't think Kendrick Nunn is very good. So like, you're gonna be by NBA standards. No, I know. Yeah, yeah, no, really I'm good basketball player, but like no, by I'm NBA standards, um, I don't think that Troy can expect to have the job in 2027 if they don't show real tangible growth here in the next two years after this one. Right. So and this isn't us saying like Troy, we're saying Troy's on the hot seat. I would say most people think Troy's done a good job given the circumstances that he's taken in. It's just, if you're a GM and you're trying to turn the corner, you can't trade a guy that's good for a pick that's five years down the road. Not when you're in the situation that yeah. Detroit is right now. That's what we're saying. And there, there's that. And there's just the fact that like, how many executives get four years basically of winning 20 games? Yeah. Right. Like Troy Weaver took over before the 2020, 21 season. This is now his third full season in charge, right? They're going to have won 20 games, 23 games and what, let's say under 30 again mm-hmm. this year. Right. Realistically, there are not many general managers that get a chance to have four straight sub 30 win seasons. Just straight. Just look at the year. Look at the math right on these guys. Like it is uncommon for guys to get that kind of strength Mm -hmm. to have this kind of lack of success. Even the Pistons or I'm sorry, even the Sixers got their, you know, got cold feet on the Sam Hinkie process. Right. And I don't think Weaver is undergoing anything like that. So I would not be surprised by any stretch if they keep Boyan. I, I think that that actually lines up a lot with the bigger what picture. makes sense for their front office as yeah. much as anything. Yep, yeah. I agree. Okay, let's talk about the Hornets. Uh, oh, Steve God. Clifford last night detonated i I think detonated is the right word (laughs) yeah he came in hot and left hot yeah (laughs) came in hot and left hot uh this hornets team is a mess uh you got to see them last night i mean what what was your take just watching that game it's the worst defensive team i've seen and i watched every second of detroit uh everything steve clifford said is correct like they hit some ridiculous shots they have some ridiculous shot makers and it is fun to watch but, I mean, they are slow in rotation. There's no type of – they don't stop any guard from penetrating. There's no help for Mike Mason Plumley on the glass. Like, they just don't give a shit defensively. And you can't win. And like Steve Clifford said, you can't win in this league if you don't act like you give a crap defensively. And it's not like I think they're out there like lollygagging. I just – like he said, they're more worried about scoring. They're just the, the roster's weird. Um, I don't want to say in their defense, but uh, the Miles situation didn't help. Um, they that's another team that kind of needs to like pick a direction, either consolidate their their bench to me is like just full of young dudes that are just okay at best. I just feel like that's a team that probably should consolidate when you have a. Lamelo Ball, who's was All Star in year two, you have a Terry Rozier who's a professional scorer. I mean, G- Gordon Hayward's now hurt, but you had a Gordon Hayward. Like they have to me, that bench is so young. And Kelly Oubre, who's having the best scoring year of his career. Like they have guys that like you look around, like oh, like 
you fill in around the margins, like this could be a feisty team. Just like that bench is just a bunch of it's James Booknight and Nick Richards and just guys that are just Ty Jones is there now. Yeah, just He's it's finally getting minutes. Time to consolidate. PJ Washington, I like PJ's game, but consolidate. I think it's time for them to consolidate. It's well, I would wait till <laughs> after next year, but yeah, then after it's, that, well, they consolidate. Well, it's just funny that like. We started this podcast talking about Maxi Kleba and like guys that bring things to the table that don't show up on the box score. Mm-hmm. I think that everybody on the Hornets <laughs> is trying to bring the box score and yes. that's what they're trying to do. And I think that's what Steve Clifford alluded to. And I think that as much as anything, it has to do with who they have on the roster, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Kelly Oubre is in a contract year, point blank, right? Yep. James Booknight is a scorer. That is all he could do at Connecticut. I thought he had a shot to be a pretty good one, to mm-hmm. be honest. Um, you know, P.J. Washington is in a contract year at the yep. end of the day here. Like, Dennis Smith Jr. hasn't – like, look, Dennis certainly was not at fault last night. He didn't play last night. Yep. But, like, Dennis is – defending and playing hard but like when he's out there like at some point he's gonna focus on scoring because you get mm-hmm. paid with box score production kelly Oubre, like i said contract year terry rosier not in a contract year but like you know score. getting older and probably wants to compete on some level at some point soon so like maybe you could look to move him eventually uh bryce mcgowan's like the guy they drafted in the second round this year is just a pure scorer that's what he does um, Mason Plumley is just not like an awesome defender, and Mason Plumley might be one of their best defenders at this point, right? <laughs> that's that's where we're no, at. That's a fact. Team, no, that's a fact. And like Lamelo Ball is a carefree defender. That's very, that's a polite way to say it. Yeah, I agree. that's fair? a perfect way to describe it. Yes, it's not that he doesn't um, try; he just tries for things he shouldn't try for. Yeah. Gambler. And yeah. And look, he's averaging 20 points and eight rebounds in the four games he's played this year. And like watching him is a joy. Watching his brain operate on the court is something I genuinely appreciate. Same. But like, yeah, I, I, they need to, they need to shake up this roster. And this is what it comes down to for me. Like you hire Steve Clifford onto this roster this is not a Steve Clifford roster. No. And on top of it, the front office did nothing in the offseason to make it a Steve Clifford roster. And like I think that the thing that encapsulates this most is they have nobody really at the center position to be a def- defensive difference maker outside of maybe Mark Williams long term. Yep. How did the Detroit Pistons get the number 13 overall pick <sighs> in last year's draft, James? Please From tell the, the Charlotte people. Hornets. And the new Who did they take? Jalen Duran. <laughs> Jalen Duran is a guy that makes a lot of sense on the yes. Charlotte Hornets roster right now. And it's just a little bit bizarre to me that the Hornets didn't do anything this offseason. They hire Steve Clifford and then didn't do anything this offseason to help Steve Clifford, mm-hmm. right? Like, it was just, okay, we'll pray and hopefully this works with Steve. Maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. Yeah, um, Maybe he'll just make these guys defend. But none of these guys want to defend. No, like, they don't. And they all have, uh, I mean, I don't want to say they all have ulterior motives because I don't, I don't know that. But th- there's incentive for them to get theirs. A lot of them. There are incentives for them to get theirs. And 
I loved his rant. I thought it was, I agreed with him. Like no question needed to be asked. That's it. That's the issue. He, he faced it head on and I hope he doesn't get scapegoated like Borrego no. did. Um, because I still think that again, the miles situation is, makes things a little weird for the, the roster not that Miles was a great defender or anything, but it is another good NBA player who would have been under contract. It makes you sort things out. Yeah. But, um, yeah, man, there to me, Detroit is better than Charlotte. When the dust settles, I think Detroit will be better than Charlotte, Houston, San Antonio, because I think those two are going to like really enter the like San Antonio is going to enter the. Oh yeah, it's, it's going to it's going to get like gross. Under twenty games, I think. Yeah, yeah, and uh, who am I? Orlando's going to be the interesting one because they're playing better. But that's I think Detroit's going to be better than Houston, Charlotte, and uh, who am I missing? Houston. San Antonio. Houston, Charlotte, San Antonio. I think Detroit, when the dust settles, will be better than those three. Yeah, and look, like, to bring it back to the Hornets, you can make the case that, like, this is a good thing for the Hornets because they're going to be tanking, and there's this seven foot four man in France that everybody wants in Victor Wembanyama, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's the position they need. They need a center long-term. They need someone that can be a secondary shot creator next to Lamelo. Like, he fills everything that they need. You have a 14% chance at that guy. Yep. And I don't think you really have the means to make your roster much better this year, but I think you just have to desperately shake it up. You have to shake it up at the end of the day. And like, I, 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 I don't know, man, this is, there is nothing. I, I said coming into the year, I thought the Hornets were one of the worst teams in the league, mm-hmm. despite the fact their over under was their over under was preposterously high. It was like I in did, the thirties. I didn't understand it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just like, I buy LaMelo. I don't buy anything else on this roster. Um, Agreed. We, I have not seen enough from Kai Jones, like is a processor and in terms of like a defender to where I think he can play the center position. Mm-hmm. Um, we just haven't seen enough out of Mark Williams, but it kind of scares me that like Mark Williams can't get on the court. Yep. Um, Same with book night. Book night does not look like a guy that can play really all that well, mm-hmm. um, which is a shame for a number of reasons. And then they have guys like Kelly Oubre, who is a free agent this summer and Mason Plumlee, who's a free agent this summer and PJ Washington, who's a free agent this summer. So like they are what seven in 22, I think something like that, mm-hmm. seven and 21. And they're almost starting over again around LaMelo this summer. It yep. feels like, Oh, they are. I would trade Terry and Kelly and Mason at the deadline and, and find out if Kai Jones can play. Find out if James Buchnight can play. Find out if Mark Williams can play. You're heading that way anyway. You might as well try to stock up the cupboard. Uh, you might as well try to get Wimbenyama. You might as well even try to get – I mean, Scoot is – I mean, LaMelo needs a, a running mate. Scoot wouldn't be bad either. Like, they have no incentive to not trade those guys at this at the deadline. The, the interesting thing that I'm trying to figure out is – so Kelly Oubre and Patrick Beverly's contracts line up really well um, in terms of like how much they both get paid. I wonder if that could be an interesting move for the Lakers because I so. like, I don't think that you, I don't think you're going to have to give up one of the firsts to get him no. to be honest. Like, I wonder if you could do 
maybe like a pick swap in like a second or something like that, mm-hmm. or like a couple of seconds and, and maybe get Kelly Oubre. Yeah. Um, Cause he's a free agent this summer. Kelly's been really good this year. He's averaging 20. Uh, he's been really good offensively this yeah. year. Yeah. <laughs> averaging 21 points a game, five rebounds. He's not passing the ball almost ever. It feels like, <laughs> um, but like, just given what's out there, that's the thing for me. Like given what's out there, I'm just very curious to see who the Lakers could get. And that could be an option as like a bigger wing scorer for a team that I think could use another scoring option next to LeBron. Cause the defense has been okay. They need another threat offensively. I'm with you. I think it's a good point. I want to see, and I know this doesn't help their defense, but I kind of want to see Terry Rozier in Dallas. That could be fun. Yeah. That could actually, fun. that could work. Terry's a really good shooter. Yeah. Um, you know, it would be a similar idea to what they had with Jalen Brunson. It's just yeah. that Brunson is a super high-level processor of the game right. in a way that Terry isn't necessarily. Um, but they yeah. could use the buckets, the non-Luka buckets. Bucket. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's get you out of here, James. Tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. Uh, yeah. Well, first of all, appreciate you having me. Uh, I'm on Twitter at JL Edwards III. Uh, if you're a Pistons fan or NBA fan or whatever, uh, Pistons tab at the athletic, uh, I have a column now up on Killian Hayes where it's kind of just, I, I just basically talked about it's time to stop being surprised that he's doing good things. He's been doing it for about a month or two now. Um, so check that out. And yeah, there's always, always stuff coming. I'm going to Paris. I'm going to try to catch Wemby in January when the Pistons play there the Bulls. Go. So yeah, appreciate you having me as always, man. That's James Edwards over there. I will be back on Sunday going into Monday with Adam Spinella. We'll talk about something basketball related. I haven't decided yet on that. Um, I will have a mailbag coming up at some point in the next week uh, where I will go on YouTube. I will answer all of your questions. Um, I'm probably going to pull four or five or six of those for an athletic mailbag. But I would like uh, to get as many questions as possible, and I'll answer as many of those that I don't get for the athletic mailbag for the mailbag here on YouTube. And that will be, I think, a YouTube subclus- or a exclusive um, where I don't release it onto the podcast feed. So subscribe to the YouTube channel, Game Theory Podcast with Sam Cini. Uh We will be back later next week with more. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye. Thank you.